Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, we're wrapping up planting here in Texas, but can you believe it's time to start harvest already? Yeah, down in the Rio Grande Valley, they're ready to get those combines rolling in the sorghum crop. Plus, that crop is looking really good, especially considering all the rain they've had in that area. We'll have more on the sorghum harvest getting underway coming up later. My name's Carrie Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. And we cover it all from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecus, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's some good news for Texas High Plains sorghum farmers. The annual visit from the sugarcane aphid may not be very noticeable. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Is your dog ready to be Farm Dog of the Year? I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have details about a national contest on Texas Ag Today. Substantial rainfall in late May, early June has made harvesting hay a challenge. We will talk about the risks associated with failing high moisture hay. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We're wrapping up the planting season for most of our crops here in Texas, but just as soon as we get planting wrapped up, believe it or not, it's time to start harvesting down in South Texas. Scott Stanislav is a technical agronomist for DeKalb, Asgro, and Delta Pine. He says sorghum harvest should start in the Rio Grande Valley any day now. We're close to harvest. I think there was probably some guys. I was down there yesterday and was talking to some people and some along the river there. They were thinking maybe by the end of this week, they might see the first field getting harvested. So, you know, I think as we go into the next couple of weeks, for sure, down there, it'll probably be fairly widespread on harvest. Stanislav says the sorghum crop in South Texas looks really good at this point, especially considering all the rain they've had. As I move up the coast, the crop looks really good, uh, considering as much rain as we've had in the month of May. Uh, so in general, it, it, it looks like the grain sorghum crop at this point is is looking to be above average. And the overall crop ratings for sorghum here in Texas look really good. In the Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report released earlier this week, they show some great ratings. 22% of the crop rated excellent, 59% rated good, 15% of the crop rated fair, and only 4% of the sorghum crop rated poor to very poor. We may still have a little sorghum up in the northern part of the panhandle that hasn't been planted yet. USDA saying overall 95% of the Texas sorghum crop is now in the ground, 45% of the crop has headed, and 26% of the Texas sorghum crop is coloring. Well, one of the reasons the Texas sorghum crop may be in such good condition right now is because the sugarcane aphid has not caused very many problems this year. James Hunt tells why from the panhandle. 
With the development of sugarcane aphid-tolerant hybrids and an expanded arsenal of insecticides, the threat to local sorghum once posed by the aphid has come way down in recent years. Still, area farmers would certainly prefer not having to deal with the aphid at all, and the prognosis right now is that we'll have very little if any problems with the aphid in the Texas High Plains this season. Here's what I heard from Dr. Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff, who happened to be down south when I got him on the phone. I'm actually uh, sitting in College Station as we speak. I came down for a field day and had a chance to look at some sorghum around here and in some different areas and talk to the people. And sugarcane aphid just has not been a problem, you know, this year. You have to really look in, in this area to find sugarcane. And uh, even down in the Valley Corpus area, it uh, just hasn't been an issue. There may have been a little spring here and there, but boy, very little. And as people familiar with the sugarcane aphid saga already know, what's happening or not happening with the aphid in South Texas is critical to our area. That's because, by all indications, the sugarcane aphids simply can't survive Texas High Plains winters. So when we do start seeing them in the summer, it's always a matter of a new batch of aphids riding the wind into our area from the south. So what's got aphid populations so low downstate? Dr. Bean says most likely it's the result of a couple of weather situations, including winter storm Uri. That freeze that we had, that certainly knocked the population way back that might have been out there in February. And then this wet weather that we've gotten into down here, in a lot of cases too much water, that tends to keep those populations down also. So right now, there's just not much uh, sugarcane aphid pressure going on. And that's good news. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Do you have a great Texas farm dog? Maybe you should nominate that special pet for Farm Dog of the Year. Tom Nicoletti tells how. Farmers and ranchers across the country and here in Texas are invited to submit applications for the 2022 Farm Bureau Farm Dog of the Year contest. It's supported by the American Farm Bureau Federation and Nestle Purina Pet Care. But the deadline to submit applications closes soon on July 2nd, 2021. The uh, contest is now in its fourth year, and uh, it celebrates farm dogs and the many ways they support farmers and ranchers. To talk more about the contest, we go to AFBF's Vice President of Communications, Terry Moore. And Terry, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Tom. Terry, uh, what should farmers and ranchers look for? And these would be uh, Farm Bureau members who uh, own a dog and want to enter it into a contest. We're really looking for three criteria, helpfulness to the family, playfulness, and obedience. So it could be a working, a herding dog, or it could just be a good companion that's helpful to the family on the farm. Those sound like uh, simple qualifications, but uh, certainly you're going to have to look long and hard for that uh, special dog. We've had such wonderful nominations in the past, and the winner will get a beautiful video. If, if folks haven't seen some of our farm dog past winners, fb.org is where you can see those videos. What I really love about this contest contest is it's such a great way to connect with the public, giving them a sort of a window into farm life through a shared love of pets. We know how emotional people are about their pets. So this has really captivated an audience far beyond agriculture. We reached 700,000 people with this contest in 2021 this year, and 40,000 people actually liked or shared it. So it, it has a way of touching people, and the stories have been so wonderful. And by the way, Texas won our first competition in 2019. That was a dog named Woody, 
owned by Joe and Mary Sheeran. So you have a good track record. Yes, and uh, let's talk about the the grand prizes. Uh, What uh, will the winner win? The winner will receive $5,000 in prize money, a year's worth of Purina dog food, and the opportunity to be recognized at our annual convention, which in 2022 will be in Atlanta in January. And and up to four regional runners-up will each win $1,000 in prize money. That's right. So those four regional runners-up receiving each $1,000 in prize money. And we also have the People's Choice Pup. And how can uh, dog owners apply for the contest? So if they could submit some information about their dog, we love seeing videos, and that could just be a cell phone video. All that can be done right from our website at fb.org. That is Terry Moore. She is Vice President of Communications with the American Farm Bureau Federation. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. All of the rain we've had over the last couple of months has made it hard to get hay baled. Forage specialist Dr. Vanessa Olson has some tips for getting hay harvested in this high-moisture environment. Hay that is baled at moisture contents greater than 20% can develop mold and lose dry matter and quality to bacterial degradation. In rare cases, hay baled at high-moisture content can spontaneously heat or combust. Moldy hay can be detrimental to livestock health. The extent and duration of temperature rise in hay depends on moisture content. All hay baled at moisture content between 15 and 20 percent will undergo some elevation in temperature in the first two to three weeks after baling. This heat buildup is referred to as sweating and is due to plant respiration and microbial activity. This temperature increase continues for up to 10 days. At a moisture level of about 30 percent, a bale may maintain a higher temperature for up to 40 days regardless of the forward species or bell shape. An electronic hay moisture and temperature probe that is 18 to 24 inches long can monitor these changes in moisture and temperature. The electronic probe can measure many samples quickly. At least 12 to 20 random samples are necessary to determine forage moisture accurately. Heat generated by metabolic activity of the microorganisms and plant respiration will increase the temperature of hay. Temperatures can range from 130 to 140 degrees Fahrenheit during the initial stage and decrease to 60 degrees Fahrenheit after 40 days. If the temperature increase is no greater than 130 degrees, then the hay should suffer no great reductions in hay dry matter and quality. However, during the sweat, measurable losses of 4 to 5% in hay dry matter may be recorded. It is recommended that square or rectangular bales be harvested at 20% moisture and large round bales harvested at 18% moisture. Combustion and fire can also occur if internal temperatures exceed 175 degrees Fahrenheit due to oxidative reactions caused by protein breakdown. If you observe high bale temperatures or are unsure about what is happening to the bales, store suspect bales outside and away from other dry haystacks. Safety and nutritional considerations make it critical that you bell hay at the appropriate moisture content. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson reporting from East Texas with Texas Ag Today. Whooping cranes continue to call Texas home. We'll have more on that coming up in today's wildlife report. Plus, bit lesions in horses' mouths may be more common than you think. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. 
But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Bit lesions in horses' mouths may be more common than you think. A new study shows the problem is quite widespread. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look. The study examined national and international horses at cross-country events and found that more horses had bit-related lesions than those that did not. Dr. Katie Tuamolo indicated in the horse publication that if horse handlers would monitor the bit area themselves and notice when the horse has lesions, they can improve the horse's comfort and welfare. Certainly, if a horse does develop bit lesions, giving them a rest from the bit will give the lesions time to heal. The horse handlers with horses that have bit lesions should monitor their rein tension and prevent the lesions from becoming chronic. And another study indicated that bit lesions in trotter racing horses were even more common, as 86% of those horses had painful bit lesions after the race. Of the 52% of eventing horses with oral lesions, 39% had bruising and 19% had open wounds in their oral cavities. Mares seem to be at a higher risk for bit lesions, possibly due to different rein tension, and the bits that were particularly thin or thick were most likely to cause bit lesions. The riders in these studies were surprised that their horses had these painful lesions and need to understand how they develop and monitor for them. Cracking lesions at the outer lip commissures, which is commonly called the corners of the mouth, are easy to see, but a lot of these lesions are inside the mouth, so you have to have your veterinarian demonstrate a safe method of looking in your horse's mouth. Bit-related lesions are not new, as they have been reported for over 100 years, but now we know horse handlers need to be looking for these lesions and Dr. Tuomolo believes horses with lesions should be banned from competing. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The endangered whooping crane is finding a home here in Texas. Russell Castro, state wildlife biologist for the Natural Resources Conservation Service, says there are two types of whooping cranes that are making their home here in Texas. There are two somewhat different populations of the whooping crane. One is a migratory uh, migrate from Texas to Canada. You know, they summer in, in, in Canada and they winter uh, in, in our Texas wetlands. And then the uh, there's a non-migratory population that was actually started in um, Louisiana. And so it's it's found its way into, into Texas, which is exciting for this species. It's been somewhat challenged over the years. And the NRCS is working to improve whooping crane habitat here in Texas. NRCS has entered into an agreement with our partners, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, to try to accommodate all these species, the various species that we do that are addressed and can sometimes be uh, cumbersome to uh, landowners and their activities. So we've been able to con- to work with fish and our partners at Fish and Wildlife Service. They have asked that if, if a landowner finds some nest with eggs in it, they contact U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and uh, and they will send out a group to uh, remove the eggs, and uh, and then landowners free to move forward with his act, his farming activities, farming and ranching activities. 
Russell Castro, state wildlife biologist for the Natural Resources Conservation Service. We had quite a meltdown in the markets on Thursday, but we saw quite a comeback in most of our markets on Friday. We'll take a look back at how all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets fared on Friday coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw a bounce back in the markets on Friday. Now, if you take a step back to Thursday, we saw quite a meltdown in just about every single commodity. The Fed came out on Thursday saying they may need to raise interest rates earlier than expected, and that caused a bit of a panic. And we saw a lot of selling and lower prices across the board. In fact, the corn market hit limit down on Thursday. But stepping a day ahead to Friday, things bounced back quite nicely in most of our commodities. The cattle complex, however, Feeling the pressure of higher corn prices, we did close higher in live cattle with June up 95 cents, 121.05, August up 45, 121.55, October live cattle up 37 cents, 126.95. But the bounce back in corn put the pressure on the feeder market. August feeder cattle down 237, 155.02. September feeders down $1.87, 157.22. October feeder cattle down $1.65 at 159.05. No cash fed cattle trade to report on Friday. We did all of our business a little earlier in the week. We saw prices hit as high as 125, but that was way up north in Iowa and Nebraska. Down here in the south, we sold most of our cattle at 122. A few at 123. That's two to $3 higher than the previous week. Boxed beef prices lower on Friday. Choice down 78 cents, 325.47. Select down $1.59 at 285.65. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My friend Brian Lentzman from Seguin Cattle Company sold sheep and goats and cattle on Wednesday in Seguin. Cousin Brian, talk to us about the price and quality. So it was fantastic, Larry. Uh, the quality of the stocker cattle was good. Uh, I called the market steady all the way through. No complaints on, on either end of the market, whether it was the sheep and goat or cattle market. Good, let's walk those pins. Ended up with right at 600 head of cattle, uh, those two to three weight steers, $1.20 to $2. Three to four weights, $1.35 to $1.94. Four to five weights, $1.28 to $2.02. Five to six weights, $1.26 to $1.64. Six to seven weights, $1.24 to $1.58. Seven to eight weights, $1.04 to $1.40. You get to the heifer mates, two to three weights, $1.30. To a dollar sixty-two, in those three to four weight heifers, dollar twenty-eight to a dollar eighty. Four to fives, dollar twenty-five to a dollar fifty-nine. The five to six weights, dollar twenty-eight to a dollar fifty-six. The six to seven weight heifers, dollar nineteen to a dollar thirty-four. Top end of the cows brought seventy-nine to eighty-two cents. You get into those high-yielding bulls, they brought up to a dollar nine. Those palpated and pears, they're still in high demand. The palpated cows, they brought from eight hundred to twelve fifty, with the pears bringing from seven hundred to thirteen seventy-five. wasn't bad at all. Ended up with eleven hundred, right at eleven hundred head of sheep and goats. 
those good nannies brought from two to three hundred a day. The good kid goats from three twenty to three seventy five. The Dorper used one hundred and sixty to two hundred dollars. With those good Dorper lambs bringing from two thirty to two eighty, so wasn't a bad day at all. What do you know for next week? You know, so many people are in the hay field. They got hay downs. They they try to trap them in the morning. They're bailing hay all afternoon. Play it by ear. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Brian. You can give us a call at eight three zero three seven nine 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 five five, or you can call me on my cell phone at eight three zero three zero five zero six five two. We appreciate you. Thank you. We'll see you next week, Larry. And neighbor, we'll see you tomorrow for the next edition of Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs continued sharply lower on Friday. July hogs down 232, closing at 108.67. August down 52 cents, 106.67. Class three milk was mixed. The June contract up four cents, 17.33. July milk down 12 at 16.70. A hundred weight. Nice bounce back in the cotton and the grain markets after that scare on Thursday. We'll start with cotton. July cotton up 25 points, 84.42. October up 138, 86.11. December cotton up 112 at 85.18. The corn market recovered from that limit down move on Thursday. July corn up 22 and a quarter, 655 and a quarter. September corn up 29 cents, 577 and a half. December corn up 33 and three quarters, 566 and a quarter. Overall, it was a volatile week for the corn market. For the week, we ended up losing 43 cents. Wheat market bouncing back also, both hard and soft weeks, strongly higher Friday. July Kansas City wheat up 21 and a quarter, 606 and a half. July Chicago wheat up 23 and three quarters, 662 and three quarters. Rice and soybeans both sharply higher on Friday. July rough rice up 38 cents, 1261. September rice up 38 and a half, 1290 a hundred weight. Soybeans sharply higher with the November contract up 60 and a quarter to close the week at 1313 a bushel. July soybean meal up 1190, 37340 a ton. In the energy markets, July natural gas down four cents, three twenty-one. July crude oil up sixty-eight at seventy-one seventy-two a barrel. The financial markets lower on Friday. The Dow down four hundred thirty-three points, thirty-three thousand three ninety. The Nasdaq down hundred two at fourteen thousand fifty-nine. The S and P five hundred down forty-three points, four thousand one seventy-nine. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.